Hi, this is Better Read Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. Megan is still on maternity leave, and uh, we'll be back with us in a couple weeks. Today, we'll be talking about The Hound of the Baskervilles, which is Arthur Conan Doyle's 1901-1902 Sherlock Holmes novel about rich dipshits and a cursed supernatural hound. Or is it murder? <laughs> it's, it's quite obviously murder. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Ele- elementary, my dear Tristan, you have illuminated the facts of a case upon which I will now correct you for 200 pages. Great. Okay, so you can stop listening now. <laughs> we, we solved it. Um, um, so, Katie, why uh, why did you want to read The Hound of the Baskervilles and Sherlock Holmes more generally? Um, I wanted to read Sherlock Holmes and The Hound of the Baskervilles because... Number one, Sherlock Holmes just fucking rocks. Um, I like a mystery. I like I like having Watson around. Yeah. I just I find him I find him soothing. Um and it is legitimately interesting that all of these stories are about a person like who is so high key logic dork crime genius that it that it tips into the supernatural. Um, so that's cool. And again, Watson, seeing it through Watson's it, Watson's beautiful, no doubt, uh, you know, bovine eyes, um, <laughs> l- lets us get into a lot of stuff about observation and perspective that's cool, that would be less cool if it were just like a lecture. Um, but also just Holmes himself, just the Holmesness of Holmes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that he is... He can sort of replicate the college experience by being like one of your housemates who like never does the dishes and who is always saying rude things to you like you're not smart, but you help me be smart (laughs) in a way that's the greatest gift that you're capable of giving to the world. Thank you for typing my dissertation. so that's cool. And also, um, he at one point at one point he tells Watson, uh, can you please can you please leave the house for the day? Just vacate. <laughs> uh, just get out of here. And then he repays his consideration in doing so by hotboxing the living room and then <laughs> to when Watson tries to open the window. Yes, he, yeah, he's, he's it's full of what it's described as pipe smoke. But I, I think it I think it was not tobacco, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> There was something. There was some yeah. kind of something mixed in. I will say. Also, doesn't doesn't Holmes do do like coke in other Sherlock Holmes stories, or did I make that up? No, he he. Well, well, does he? It's like a stimulant or something, right? That he like like vaguely he, describes, sort of. Yeah, it's just I can't I can't remember. Um, he does no, he does at one point. He's like intravenously injecting himself with something. In one <laughs> okay, of the stories. Yeah. So <laughs> sure. there's. There's something. There's something happening. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, uh, that's that's that that's Sherlock Holmes's uh a drug problem hour um intervention <laughs> intervention um but this this particular so this particular Sherlock Holmes story I wanted to read for two other reasons uh because it lets me just make two statements and have them be relevant and applicable to the conversation um. <laughs> Number one is, in conclusion, there are no bad dogs, only bad owners. 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> and two is one pair of Baskerville Airs shoes never worn. Say the second one because there is a subplot in this about a, a shoe thief. Yep. And uh, and I love a good mystery. Yeah. Which is why I joined the CIA. <laughs> yeah. hey, do you do you know Pete Buttigieg? <laughs> I do. Good friend of mine. Good friend of mine. Uh, I listen. I'm not good at my job, and I was real surprised when I found out about a lot of the stuff we were doing. Um, <laughs> But I, but I feel like it's given me perspective on uh, on Sherlock Holmes that I couldn't have gotten any other way. Um, and and you know uh, you're going to be doing some of the same CIA mystery solving later today. Uh, and okay. if you can't solve the mysteries, then you will answer to Mayor Pete. <laughs> uh, cool, dead eyed psychopath. Great. Um, anyway, <laughs> I, oh, we st- we stand the mayor, the mayor, the ex mayor of of uh, of. Uh, South Bend, Indiana, on the show. Um, listen, listen, you laugh, but but you you you've done the dance. Gotta have ha, ha. Okay. <laughs> um, so, copyright, copyright. Uh, okay, so I, I am looking forward to those final mysteries. I will I will try my best to embody one of the Watson roles. I will say that like so like when you read the novels or the stories, like Watson isn't quite as dumb as he is in some of the film and television representations. Like I just <laughs> like I just watched an, uh, an 83 um, uh, film with uh, Ian Richardson, who, uh, who was in Health of, House of Cards, right? Um, as, as, uh, as Sherlock Holmes and the Watson in that he, I mean, you know, he's fine. Um, the, the, the famously moronic Watson is from Basil Rathbone's movies in like the thirties and forties, <laughs> uh, Nigel Bruce. And he's just like, Bob's like, what? Who's, oh, oh, dear. <laughs> like, it's just like, like, he, like, I mean, it's kind of like Sherlock Holmes and the three stooges <laughs> a little like, <laughs> like I was watching this one where like, uh, Holmes is on a train and Watson's like late for the train. And so he's running after it and he can't catch up with it. You know? so, like, yeah, it's like, He's like, he's not like having Winnie the fucking poo with you, you know? No, no, exactly. So, um, but yeah, so why, why did I want to read this? Um, so I, I am a huge Star Trek TNG fan, uh, and, uh, uh, which, uh, Megan is too. Are you, are you, are you into TNG, Katie? <laughs> Sadly, so this is a gap in my knowledge. Uh, it, it, that is, that is fine. Although you should, you should watch it. <laughs> so, I know, I should. Um, so one of my favorite bits on TNG was, uh, when Data and Jordy would cosplay as Holmes and Watson on the holodeck, um, <laughs> which, which was, it was always perfect. Um, especially for Data, he'd just like solve a crime in five seconds and everyone would get pissed off because he ruined the game. And he'd be like, what? I have deduced from this bit of pocket lint that it was Colonel Mustard in the library with a chainsaw. <laughs> 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 mix, mixing up my pop culture mystery genre there but <laughs> um but i like i do really find cotton doyle and, and the home stories fascinating um for one thing they are just such giant mass cultural phenomena um on a scale that um, as an 18th centuryist who thinks a lot about literary markets and that sort of thing um i always get a little jealous of victorianists because we don't have anything quite like that in the 1700s like not on that scale 
Um, I'm also interested in the genre of detective fiction for a lot of reasons. Uh, I think a lot of people think it's heyday uh, or, or, you know, when it got started is like the late 19th century with like, or, you know, mid to late 19th century with Wilkie Collins. And then of course, Conan Doyle uh, into the 20th century, but it goes all the way back to at least a foe who's writing these like weird as shit criminal biographies in the, in the, uh, in the early 1700s. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I'm just kind of curious to talk a little bit more about, uh, uh, about that, uh, or to trace that evolution. Um, oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. If you don't think people were cracking fucking cases. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't no. think they like to crack the case, if you don't think they love to gumshoe, you'd yeah. be, you, you'd be dead wrong. Yeah, exactly. People, people, people have always, always been down for a good mystery. Um, it, like, and I had to say another reason, like sort of politically why I'm interested in this is like the, the detective novel crime fiction, like particularly anything true crime, which is not what Holmes is. It is like so fucking reactionary. And I think maybe <laughs> inherently so, um, or, or maybe not. I mean, I like, I think that that's a question I would like to leave open about this novel. I'm just thinking about why that is, um, you know, and on the flip kind of more positive side, it's also a genre that's working through all kinds of epistemological uh, and political questions like, you know, crime and the social, like what the function of reason is, uh, you know, surveillance, something like the the panopticon. Um, so there is some really troubling shit in here. Um, race science, uh, again, not at all on the positive side. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, I, and I'd like to talk about sort of how that discourse is like, we, you know, whether that's kind of inherent to this genre or not, whether there's, whether, you know, like there's something about like what detective fiction is doing that um, invites that kind of like, you know, fucked up thinking. Um, so there's a ton to talk about. Um, and yeah, uh, like the Holmes Watson relationship, we could do a whole show just on that. <laughs> just on that. That is psychology. Uh, it is indeed. Um Okay, um, so today we're going to be talking about um, the novel's relations to, uh, relationship to science and epistemology. Uh, we're going to be talking about the function of the aristocracy and class in the novel. Um, and we're also going to be talking a little bit about uh, its sort of narrative modes, how it relates to the Gothic, and also the function of Watson in, in the home stories. Okay, so uh, Katie, do you want to sort of take us through the, the plot of the novel and tell us, tell us what happens? Yes, I would love to take us through the plot of Sherlock Holmes and the mysteries of doing racism. Because that's <laughs> what this whole fucking book is about. Uh, a little um, bit, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. That's a, that's a theme. That's a thread. So to kick us off, we have this guy, Dr. Mortimer, who shows up on Holmes and Watson's doorstep with an 18th century manuscript about criminal pervert and degenerate Hugo Baskerville. <laughs> uh, he, <laughs> yes. Uh, he lived on the moor in Devonshire and uh, Hugo long ago kidnapped a country lady. She climbs out of her tower, tries to escape. He goes after her with his hunting dogs only to ironically himself be murdered <laughs> by a dog. McGruff, the crime dog, an ancient magical dog who kills rich shitheads. Mm -hmm. It is a very, yeah, the, the, the detective genre uh, generally is uh, very subtle with its uh, symbolism, right? <laughs> like, yeah. 
<laughs> some stuff going on. Oh. Um, so so we find out in, in this detective, this story here, that uh, there, there's a mystery afoot. Clifford the Big Red Dog has been at it again, and he ate Sir Charles Baskerville. <laughs> and if Sherlock and Watson don't help, his boring ass nephew might be next <laughs> because he's the heir. Uh, telling telling this story is the last time Mortimer is at all useful. The entire rest of the book, he just won't shut the fuck up about racist skull science. You, you, you look like a Celtic type. May I may I apply my calibers? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's like almost a verbatim line from the novel. But. No, when he meets Sherlock Holmes, he starts heavy breathing and going like, until your skull's available, may I feel it <laughs> on your head? Yes. yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I can't wait till you're not using it anymore. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Good boy. Anyway, anyway, (laughs) so Sherlock sends Watson off with Henry Baskerville and is like, whatever you do, don't let him leave your side no matter what. Don't let him go onto the moor where the big scary dog kills aristocrats. Mm -hmm. Keep him, keep him under lock and key. I need to just stay here and attend to uh, finance and business matters, cracking cases, uh, mysterious happenings magnifying glasses to look through business is booming i can't go with you Mm. um and watson is like sherlock i think of you as a father and also i think maybe maybe we should fuck so i definitely won't fail you (laughs) by by any means uh yeah no i mean not uh it's fairly close to the surface subtext there i think (laughs) pretty much Um, but of course, Watson, being Watson, immediately does fail him and lets uh, and lets our our little Lord Fauntleroy develop a terminal case of aristocrat boner for their neighbor Jack Stapleton's sister. Mm-hmm. Stapleton distinguishes himself this story by running around and waving a butterfly <laughs> net around and shit. No matter what mood he's in, angry, sad, happy, interested, whatever it is. <laughs> Because he collects insects as all regular and normal guys do. He's also hyper obsessed with his sister. Mm-hmm. Again, regular stuff. Uh, nothing going on there. <laughs> the, we've got some other new friends, the Barrymores, the who's the butler and the Mrs. Butler. The very handsome Wat- butler, right? That Watson makes a makes a, a point to note a couple times. He's so handsome, I bet he could get anyone to do whatever he wanted. <laughs> At one point, he's like, he's handsome. He could totally fuck around with his wife if he wanted to. Yes, yep. He's like, oh, cool. Thanks, Watson. (laughs) Um, So so Watson also immediately doesn't like Mrs. Barrymore because she's too pear-shaped for his tastes or some fucking shit. Um, It turns out that her brother is also an escaped convict who is hiding out on the moor. And Mr. Barrymore is Watson's prime dog crime suspect <laughs> due to the fact that he has a beard. This actually makes sense, but I won't explain it. Um, another person who is hiding on the moor. 
you wouldn't believe this. Watson the whole time is going, oh, I wish Sherlock were here. Oh, if only Sherlock were here. Gee whiz, I miss Sherlock. I got to write him another letter. Well, lo and behold, who is hiding there but Sherlock fucking Holmes? Yep. He's hiding on the moor. Yep. (laughs) Holy shit. It's crazy. Anyway, so... Finally, Watson winds up in his cab and he finds him. They hear a scream. They think Henry Baskerville has been murdered. But it was actually the escaped pear-shaped brother convict (laughs) wearing Henry Baskerville's suit who died. So, So he's okay. And by the way, Stapleton's sister is actually his wife. Whoa! What? He's the butterfly net guy, and he wanted to use her as as bait to butterfly net the biggest butterfly of them all. And and just to clarify, we learned at this point that he is not that she is not actually his sister. That she is instead his wife, pretending to be his sister. It's not. That he was boning his sister. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. Or at least that's what it says. Who who knows what was really happening, but no. This was based on a true ass story. Um <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> um fuck. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's not really a, it's not his sister at all. They also during the whole book, Watson's like Anything important to the plot, Watson will tell you straight out of his goddamn mouth. He's like, gee, they don't really look like brother and sister. Yeah. They look well, and then Nothing she, well, she turns out she's from Costa Rica, which we learn, like, which which is a it's a fairly random place of origin in like in like an Edwardian novel, or I guess late Victorian novel, right? Uh, I can't think of a lot of other Costa Rican characters, but she is, and yeah, so <laughs> she is. Yes, she's she's absolutely not his sister, and I want to make that crystal clear yes because she's his wife (laughs) they they don't allow that sort of thing (laughs) (laughs) his wife Um, and oh so here's another thing that just are you ready to have your mind blown it turns out that stapleton is not stapleton at all but he is next in line to inherit the baskerville throne in the game of thrones where if you can't (laughs) thrown with us then you get thrown out <laughs> no that's not what's happening he has been killing so he he wants to inherit the money and the jewels and the estate and he's been killing all these aristocrats with the, his enormous fucking dog that he paints to glow in the dark and it scares them a lot <laughs> because there's a legend about a dog and that is girl scouts honor dead ass that is the, the plot of this. And then the last line of the novel, Holmes and Watson go off for a romantic dinner at a restaurant called Marcini's and to the opera. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they have one long piece of spaghetti. <laughs> yes. Lady, lady of the trap style. Um, no, uh, yeah, so, no, that, uh, that, so uh, just uh, two, two things, right. Um, which you sort of alluded to there at the end, like the, so the dog does not actually eat Sir Charles, which would be cooler. And also if you were to use a dog in a murder, how you would think that that would happen. He just scares Sir Charles so bad that he has a heart attack, much like the convict. He like, he doesn't really maul him. He just chases him and the convict falls off a cliff, right? Like, so they use fear as a murder weapon, which is like, 
it's crazy, yes. but also kind of like, wow, that's like, I mean, it is, it is crazy and kind of dumb in a way, but it's also like that, that's kind of, that's kind of a cool idea. Like using an emotion as a, or the ability to create an emotion is like a weapon itself. Um, <laughs> Tristan, that was the plot of one of the Batman movies. <laughs> which one? Which, oh, the right. Scarecrow. Yes, yes, you're right. You're right. The the first um the uh the the first the first one with uh the first Nolan one, right? Yeah, right. But <laughs> you do it for sure. You invented Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um well right, and like well so but I and I think of that, right? Like they uh in the, the that movie, don't they create um like it's some kind it's like some it's like a sort of like uh like psychological warfare weapon where they create like some drug that like makes people more susceptible to fear they don't just cook up a hat like a dog and it's, like, you know? <laughs> it's a deadly gas it's yeah de- or that's not deadly <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the fear gas. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, Bat, uh, Bat, Batman kind of sucks, I have to say. Um. <laughs> yeah, Bat- no, Batman sucks. But it was cool that he, so he invented the antidote to the fear gas, of course, the no fear gas. And then he came up with all that merchandise surrounding it, which I thought was cool. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the villains in Batman are always better than Batman's fascist rich dude ass, but... Um, oh yeah the riddler hello that's just fun yeah yeah exactly well it put like fucking poison ivy is like a badass like uh like uh you know a narco environmentalist you know like she's you know <laughs> so um anyway uh, cat woman is a cat yeah cat, cat person literally yeah, yeah. um <laughs> anyway um no and actually i mean i just like uh, joking around uh but um i do but i do think that like that like holmes has a lineage in um a certain kind of like comic book superhero character right and i think batman might actually be one of the um the best sort of links i mean there, there's there's obviously a lot of difference between those two characters but I, I like i think there's a lot of like cultural forms that come out of sherlock holmes and i think that that you could make a case that that's at least um you know somewhat influenced by what Conan doyle's doing um but yeah there's like super special cool guy with his sidekick yeah versus foes yeah doing crimes exactly um okay um so katie do you want to tell us a little bit about the context or uh like who arthur conan doyle was and the the kind of shit he was into (laughs) i would love to tell you all about the kind of shit that he was into he was he was reading all the reddit forums he was he was doing everything um so he was uh he had a medical degree um but he he was an eye doctor but he like kind of couldn't quite make it work uh so he so he became a writer and he modeled um he modeled Sherlock Holmes after this like doctor guy he knew which had to have been super weird for that guy um <laughs> Yeah. can't even imagine because <laughs> Holmes is an asshole right like that's kind of the, one of the points of his character right yeah he's not like a fun guy to have around you don't want him to chill with you after he solves the mystery no and and also but the novel's also super into him as well so I think it, it must have been weird for that guy on two counts <laughs> <laughs> yes um so there's something else that's interesting about uh uh, ACD, as I call him, as as his friends, including <laughs> myself, uh, call him. Um, 
So, so he uh, had a son who died, and after that, he became um, really into spiritualism. And so that movement in itself in itself has some interesting connections to uh, to a character like Holmes, who is sort of um, all about uh, you know logic, facts, blah 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 that kind of thing. And so people are often surprised when they find out uh, that he was into spiritualism. And so what that was most basically was it was a, a mid uh, 19th century phenomenon. Um, it was said to have started with the Fox sisters in New York, uh, who were known as the spiritual telegraph because they would tap um, and deliver messages. Mm. Uh, the important thing about spiritualism is that it, was uh, described by Molly McGarry, who wrote this really great book about um, spiritualism called Ghosts of Futures Past. Uh, it was a religion of proof. So it basically said that its adherents were um, amateur uh, investigators and that they should go out and sort of find the facts, spiritually speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are a lot of other things that went along with this. Uh, there were connections between, uh, science and spiritualism that are interesting. Uh, if we talk about when we're talking about, um, Holmes in particular and this story too, we have this kind of like phosphorus paint, which isn't some great modern technology, but that is something. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so it was all about like, uh, spiritual telegraph, um, this sort of stuff, always about the the latest and greatest um, technologies because they thought that they could um, communicate essentially with the dead. Um, And that that was kind of the, the end of life was, was to, um, to stay in contact with the dead. So the, a thing to note about spiritualism is that it, uh, it was super, super popular in a way that we sort of don't, quite hang on to today. Um, so in America, at least, so there were 28 million people living in America in the, in the 19th century, mid 19th century. Um, and estimates of how many people at least dabbled in spiritualism range anywhere between four, from four to 11 million. So this is like a huge phenomenon that we don't necessarily talk a whole lot about when we talk about religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for Arthur Conan Doyle, it was something that um, that seems not to 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 square with uh, with what we know about like Sherlock Holmes and his his being a man of science and medicine, but actually in an interesting way, sort of does, and also ties into this story's interest in uh, in in the dead, in in legacies, in roots, in the past, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and and. and- well, also my understanding too, uh, and I'm not like a historian of science, uh, but I, but that like, you know, uh, <laughs> well, one thing that's always sort of interesting reading Victorian medical tracts or Victorian scientists uh, that, that so like they're different from like 18th century uh, scientists and 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 uh, or particularly like medical science, 
because they know enough to sound like what they're doing is modern science, but the content of it <laughs> is like, so there will be this language, it's like, patient presents with advanced apoplexy of the hippocampus, you know, it's like, where, you know, where's like 150 years earlier to have been like, they've got the demons in them, you know, like, so, so uh, but, you know, but, but also that like, the, the, the boundaries between what counts as like, a scientific question within like the rational sphere versus like what is like kind of pseudoscience or the supernatural, like that hasn't quite been worked out yet. Right. I mean, they, they sort of don't even know where that line is in, 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 in some cases. Um, yeah. Like, so actually I'm, I'm sort of, I, I, I should have set that bar back further, like in the 18th century, like a lot of, uh, you know, kind of modern understandings of, of illness are emerging, but they just don't, you know, like a, something like a germ theory is starting to come out, but there's no, I mean, they can't see, you know, they, they, they don't have like, they can't see a virus. They're like a couple hundred years from being able to see a virus, right? Like, so there's still like humoral theory around like bloodletting, which I mean, if you don't know that much kind of makes sense, it's like, oh, like an excess of like some fluid might be causing something. So there is like a scientific method to it. It's not it's not like this medieval paradigm of like, ah, it's witchcraft. Um, but like, whereas I think by the Victorian period that just the like the the vocabulary around how you sort of think of these things, um, it looks a lot closer to like a modern vocabulary than it would have in like the Enlightenment. Yeah, and there's this interesting thing that happens where, like, so, so there's a split between uh, diagnosing and treating. Mm-hmm. So treating, we can talk about, like, a, a something that looks more like the uh, scientific method from the Enlightenment than, than uh, it comes in a little earlier because you have these things, like, these, these like, these herbs that have been that have been tested mm-hmm. that people used not because they were like oh this thing in my yard looks cool uh you know there there was like a there was a science around it there was an expertise around it right um right even if even if the underlying assumption might be that the cause uh was spiritual disorder right right Okay. Yeah. Well, so, and why don't we start there? Why, why don't we like, um, you know, one of the concerns, uh, or interests I think both of us had in this novel does relate to, uh, the kind of epistemological questions, like where the sort of science that it's kind of interested in versus the kind of, or if there is science, it's not. Um, and this, like, this might be like a, a roundabout way into that, but I do want to talk about those race science passages because it is not, like I, it doesn't look to me like the novel is just like indoor. It's like yes, that's right. Skull shape tells you everything, but it's. I also don't want to like go overboard with that and, and say that the novel's wholly rejecting that because I, I don't. I suspect that the truth is somewhere. Like it, it's like a both sides situation, right? Like <laughs> in in the worst way, yeah. So, Katie, as you alluded to. Dr. Mortimer is basically like 19th century Charles Murray uh, or Claire Lemon, right? Uh, he's like, mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. just asking questions. Uh, and, <laughs> and yeah, he like, he like, he, there's, you know, uh, he just like the li- limited dialogue we, uh, we, we get from him uh, has, has things, has, has, uh, so here are some examples. He's talking about how, how friendly he was with Sir Charles. And he, he tells Holmes, Sir Charles was a retiring man, but the chance of his illness brought us together and a community of interest in science kept us so. He had brought back much scientific information from South Africa and many a charming evening we had spent together discussing the comparative ad- anatomy of the Bushman and the Hottentot. 
It's like, yes, I'm sure it was charming. I fucking racist <laughs> uh, <yes>. asshole. <laughs> Many a charming evening, I had a very racist conversation, and I admired the way the light reflected off the skull of my companion. Perfectly smooth. Yes, exactly. Uh, later, uh, this, this is this is anti. This is like this is a uh, this is like prejudice directed at uh, at, at the Celts. Uh, so it's not it's, it's not quite at the the bar of like the the uh, the you know anti black racism that we just saw. Uh, there, he's riding the train with um with a uh, with a uh, Sir Henry. Uh, and, and he, he has this to contribute a glance at our friend here reveals the rounded head of the Celt, which carries inside it the Celtic enthusiasm and power of attachment. <laughs> Poor Sir Charles's head was of a very rare type, half Gallic, half Ivernian in, in, in its characteristics. But you were very young when you last saw Baskerville Hall, were you not? So the reason he says this is because like Sir Henry's like, oh, I haven't been here in so long. And it's really making me nostalgic. And he's like, well, that is because you have the Celtic racial type, sir. You know, it's just like, it's so good it's also like it's like the best thing ever is you're traveling with somebody who just kind of clears their throat when you're almost there and goes like i'm about to make announcements about race on this train today yes exactly um exactly and okay so the reason why i say i'm not sure what the novel's position is in regard to that is because it doesn't look to me that like Holmes ever follow like follows him down that line or expressly endorses it. And there's one moment where it looks like Holmes might actually be, be saying something to the effect of like I'm doing real science, like not whatever the hell that is. And so this is like there, there's this one like one of the many like like this may this is like kind of absurd the way Holmes figures this out. Um, there's this the the this note warning Sir Henry uh, like don't go to Baskerville Hall but bad things will happen. Um, and the note is composed of clippings from a newspaper. Um, and Holmes is like almost immediately able to figure out this came from the Times, um, uh, the London Times. And and they're like, how did you know this uh, this uh, uh, to Holmes? And he says. There is as much difference to my eyes between the leaded bourgeois type of a Times article and the slovenly print of an evening halfpenny paper as there could be between your Negro and your Eskimo. Um, now, obviously, I mean, Holmes there in his language is also being quite racist, but like like Holmes's whole thing is like he values knowledge, which is sort of like useful or like practical, right? And he has like no patience for knowledge that he considers outside of that. And it like, so there's in one way we read that as him saying like, look, I like, I know how to like figure out shit that matters. And honestly, like telling being able to like dif- differentiate typefaces is, is, is more, uh, is, is more practical than this kind of race science stuff. There's another way where he's like, yeah, I know what the fuck I'm talking about. You're interested in stuff that is just absurd. And, and uh, I don't know, like, I mean, what do you, what do you think? So this is interesting to me because I think that it, so Holmes is like uh, the 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 obsessive skull shaped guy is made to be co- his interest is made comical. Like at one point, Watson p- kind of plays a joke on him, or like get, deceives him by by saying like gets him off the trail of something by being like, ah, oh, tell me about that skull, the skull mm-hmm. thing, you know that thing about skulls, and he he like forgets he was asking a question. Um, but I think that so so Holmes's knowledge is so uh, is so focused on the useful that he doesn't he says 
Watson says he doesn't know whether the earth goes around the sun or the other way yeah. around. And then he doesn't yeah. give a shit. Like, cause who, yeah. cause who cares? And, but, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. And, and I think like they, they allude to that in Howl to the Baskervilles. And I think that um, in another home story, which I forget what it is, like that's actually a bit, right? Like Watson's like, don't you know that the earth goes around the sun? And Holmes <laughs> is like, I don't give a shit, you know, like, and, and so <laughs> like, but so that that's like, that that is like a canonical moment in Holmes that Howl to the Baskervilles like refers back to. Um, I see, I see. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, so Holmes, so Watson to me, uh, is the is the case kind of in between, um, Doctor Skullshapes and Sherlock Holmes, because he sort of tries in this amateur way to apply Holmes's method by applying, uh, the Doctor's method. Um, Dr. Mortimer's method, and he comes to the wrong conclusion every fucking time. Like, he has his eye on the wrong suspect. He is wrong about fucking everything. He can't identify that the, that the, uh, who's the, who's the real heir. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know who, he kind of knows that somebody's wife isn't, it, like, isn't really the sister because they don't look much alike, but you'd have to be a complete ding dong not to know it. So he takes it out into the world and gets fucking nowhere. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that, and that kind of like what, like, yeah, what, like, uh, what Watson knows, like, or what, what, what Watson is able to do with kind of Holmes's method and where that goes awry, I think you're right. I mean, that, that also, that, like, that goes back to the kind of like epistemology of like Holmes himself, right? Like, and, uh, but, but like, so I, I would say like one way where I actually think this might be like, um, Re decently critical of the kind of like race science elements is that like so Holmes's point about why he doesn't give a shit that the earth he didn't know or give a shit that the earth goes around the sun is because like astronomy is just like it has like no relevance whatsoever to um, the kind of like knowledge questions that he's interested in but like race science is actually like super proximate to a lot of the kind of like sort of political and epistemological concerns of the detective fiction genre, like the criminal yeah. type, right. Is a, is a, is yes. a thing that this genre is really into. So like you could definitely see a version of this story where Holmes, like the man of reason, like it's like, Oh yes. Like it, maybe it was a Celtic type that did this, you know, <laughs> and, but Holmes like explicitly doesn't like, he, you know what I mean? So it's like, so it's, and, and that like that to me is different that like when he dismisses astronomy is like, this is not practical knowledge. This is knowledge that, like presents itself as though it could be practical to Holmes, and he's just like, yeah, no, I don't care, you know. Yes, yes, I think that the I think that the novel it, it like underlines exactly what you're saying by setting up these these relationships, and so um, one of the things that's going on in this book is that there are a lot of amateur scientists that that move the that yeah. move the plot forward. Yeah, Stapleton, so, right? Stapleton. So Stapleton is. Um, He's an he's a fucking butterfly catching dipshit who has the yeah. biggest collection of flies he's pulled the wings off of in all the land. So <laughs> so like he, but it's also like this this big plot about the guy about the escaped convict is moved forward because this guy is like I I always am looking out my 
telescope yes. uh, so that I can do lawsuits or whatever. Like, yes, it, there are all of these amateur science people. And Holmes is ex- explicitly set up as not being like the skull shapes hobby guy, but as being like the butterfly catching guy. Mm-hmm. As, so that's his darkness. So it's saying there's like a darkness in Holmes mm-hmm. by aligning him with him. But he, but it's also saying that he's not like this version who is like digging through, um, you know, looking at like dead skulls and bones um, as, as the skull as the skull shapes guys, but he's, he's looking for like live specimens, which is creepy, but different. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and also like, um, like, I mean, Holmes does like, I mean, he does like classificatory work, which I think does bleed into like classified people at points, but he also like, I mean, throughout like the home stories, like he follows facts wherever they lead. Right. So like, I mean, a lot, and, and a lot of times, like, um, you know, there, there's diversions of detective fiction where it's like, you know, the criminal, cause they look like a criminal and something like, you know, in, in the Conan Doyle that I have read, like a lot of times the surprise is like, it's not the, the person that you were expecting. And like Holmes is, and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, so like Mortimer is developing like this sort of like classificatory system of the world and people where he's just going to neatly read people into and I think that Holmes' whole method like really resists that, right? Like you've got and, and, and you've got to be like super attuned to like kind of like uh like difference and and just like uh like random facts that'll emerge that don't necessarily fit your kind of like pre-existing classification. Um, which in the novel strands, it makes Holmes smarter. And I also think it leads to a sort of like at least quasi-rejection of this kind of line of like, you know, scare quote scientific thought. I I think it I think it is is almost a total rejection mm-hmm. of this line of thought. I think also that um you can see that exactly what you're saying in um in the way that what Watson immediately wants to do is blame the butler. Like he yes. wants to say this is a classic like the butler did it thing because mm-hmm. they're um you know it's not it it really is like he, he's like i don't really like the shape of the woman like she, and i bet you i bet you that her husband's mean to her secretly mm-hmm. and he totally misses the fact that the aristocrat actual husband is mistreating his wife mm-hmm. um quite badly and in fact is a criminal and murderer right Right. Yes, exactly. Um, exactly. He, yeah. Uh, uh right. Like that, that likes that, that like kind of Watson's like sort of classism proves to be like wildly wrong as to who the actual, who the actual criminal is. Um, and yeah. yeah and it goes farther than, so Watson just thinks that he's, uh, so, so originally we think we're just saying something about class and it's not about like the aristocracy, but it's making a, like, it's making a more, it's making a more radical point than it seems to be mm-hmm. uh, before, you know, he's there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, yeah, I think that, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, uh, speaking of the aristocracy, I know that's another thing we want to talk about. Um, <laughs> and I will say, this actually is a nice segue into that. This is the second book I've read this year where butterfly collected or lepidoptery, 
is, <laughs> is, is important. Uh, the other one uh, was Vladimir Nabokov's uh, Speak Memory, his autobiography that I, I read for a class I was teaching. Uh, Nabokov was a, w- uh, this is the only reason I know what a fucking lepidopterist is. Uh, like that, that was his main hobby. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> This is me. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> but, Very good. But I say it's a good segue because Nabokov also is like sort of super into like his like aristocratic like Russian fucking czar era <laughs> like origins. <laughs> but, uh, and it is it is a very uh, it is a very um, <clears throat> uh, it, it, you, you got to have some blue blood somewhere right to, for that for that to be what you're doing in in, in, 19, in uh, well, the eighteen eighties right running around the moors. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to our our cool prole uh, butterfly collecting listeners. Uh, <laughs> I I don't I don't think no I don't think any of the vegan dumpster divers here with us today have st- would stick a pin through a butterfly. Oh man. Um, no yeah. no no good socialist would ever stick a pin through a butterfly. Knowingly. <laughs> no no. Uh, I was just reading how the monarch butterfly on the West Coast is kind of endangered. So yeah, don't please don't kill butterflies. Um, but yeah, don't do it. But, um, no, like yeah, so yeah, the the aristocracy I think is another big big question here, right? There, uh, the the frame narrative or the the pre the kind of prehistory, right? This curse of uh, of Hugo Baskerville, who is like a total like kind of like you know uh, like seventeenth century cavalier type. He, like he's kind of a got he's a gothic villain, is what he is, right? Like he yes. To a T, yeah. to a T. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also, and and I think another thing we can talk about and this this will get us to some of the things you want to think about narrative too, like like the uh, how the gothic genre and the detective genre, detective fiction genre like overlap in some ways. Um, I know Poe was someone we were talking about a little bit before the podcast, but. I am curious what this novel is saying about the aristocracy, right? So there's this, there's the, uh, you know, the, like the, well, the Gothic with its like preoccupation with one, the supernatural, which, you know, ultimately this novel rejects, there's like a rational explanation for it, even it's somewhat outlandish one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but, but like also that, yeah, like that, that, that like, it's sort of like fixation with like the meaning of bloodline. Like it just like 1901 to, like um seems like sort of a late moment for that to be coming through and i don't think it's necessarily quite coming through in terms of the gothic but i also think the novel is really interested in something like a concept of like deep history and something like in a capacity of like sort of like uh violence and crime to perpetuate itself sort of across generations but not in like a victorian claim of like the poor are criminals right it's like it goes quite the opposite and here it's the rich that are criminals. you know what i mean like yeah so, so, so there is this weird fucking point that ties into that exactly yeah. which is that so this is one of these blank and you'll miss it moments in this book but um there's a, a moment where so there are all of these uh neolithic uninhabited yes. cabins yes all over the land and watson is thinking about them and thinking about oh i i would have more expected in this scenery to see um you know somebody from from that era to come out um with their club and their whatever you know doing like uh, he he goes into a a very predictable description of a love like a caveman mm-hmm. and um and he says, um, basically, he's like, yeah, and the people who, the, probably the guys who made their home here, 
they must have been fucking pussies because this <laughs> land sucks and it like it keeps like sucking in all these like ponies and shit yes, and like yeah. all these like ponies die screaming because the land is shitty yes. and like so it's like this is like ancient like shithead rotten like paint a dog curse like crappy awful yes right yeah um oh and and by the way like because i i was i was like sort of like really interested in those descriptions of all those like neolithic like monoliths and and yeah like like home it says Holmes is living in a hut like a neolithic hut like you know three three thousand years old uh that that oh it, it's one of the ones that still had a roof attack so i actually like looked up um the uh, grimpen moor in in devon um and and there are like i mean it is true that there are quite a lot of neolithic ruins there including hut circles like where a hut used to be but of course that just means there's a couple rocks left in a circle it's not like actual intact huts did not survive from the bronze age yeah um but no but i think you're that that like and and yeah the 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 mire that the ponies keep falling into that like they're um you know, like, so there, there's a way in which, like, that kind of narrative could go to, like, this ultra, like, kind of aristocratic, like, bloodline thing of, like, we are, like, the uh, kind of octoctonous, like, sort of, like, originators of this land. But, no, it's, like, the point this is making is, like, yeah, you live in a fucking bog. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, yeah. Like, so, yes. And the ultimate expression of the, of the, of the bloodline of the awful freakish bloodline is this terrible is this butterfly catching psycho yes. who who can't keep his anger under control and who who runs around with a fucking butterfly net in like deadly territory and like a- a- and just scampers about like a jackass yes no exactly and and, and um Right. And so I wonder there then too, like if it is like if it's the aristocracy eating itself, if like that does follow like it, like basically where that sort of like critique um, or just just kind of trope lies, like if it is saying something of like, you know, <laughs> it's such inbred decaying sort of assholes that they're eating yeah. themselves or but I mean, like, so why why is Stapleton like murderous? Because well, because basically like he's from the line that's gotten frozen out of the will. Right. So like ultimately it's about it's sort of like about money you know and, and and i think that that also like gets to like a sort of like claim about what the aristocracy is actually about it's like yeah what you're about is like your fucking resources and protecting them and like the like you know i mean it's yeah like we can all talk we can talk about how fucking inbred and disgusting you are and that valence but the more important thing is like you're hyper jealous of each other you're obsessed with like you know keeping control like tight control over your resources like and, and out of the hands of others and that and that, that kind of it in some way is like the original sin right it's like this it's this like it's this fortune that they're obsessed with and that's why they ultimately all suck like yeah and there's but there's this also this weird thing where where like they all like the ones who live suck or like the last one left sucks but but the oh, the ones in between are supposed to like the, the ones in between are like weirdly benevolent yeah like, like yeah like the one who gets scared to death by the glow in the dark dog, it, it is he's like doing like small business entrepreneurship, lo- like money loan gr- grants, you yeah. know, like like money giving. Like the butler's like says to the, his nephew cousin or whoever the fuck 
who's inheriting. He's like, yeah, no, I, I can't be here anymore. Like, I got to get the fuck out of here, man. Like, I got to go. Yes. And and nephew is like, but you've been here for generations. Your family has served my family for generations. You're going to just like fucking leave now. Right. And he's like, yeah, I am going to leave now uh, because Charles the the Baskerville who died gave me enough money that I can start a fucking business. I know what that sounds yeah. like. It sounds like I'm gonna you'll see, like I'm gonna start my own fucking business and then we'll see if you're gonna fucking laugh at me. Yeah, no, totally. What it's interesting too, right? That's yeah, like Sir he- like Sir Henry has that sort of conceit. Um and he but he's the one who's been away and he's like I think in the in the novel he's like he's kind he's basically Canadian. Like he's lived in North America so long. Um in uh he's an American accent. Yeah yeah he has an American, yeah i did the in the in the 83 um in the 83 Ian richardson movie of this they really lead into that he's like well how to partner i guess <laughs> i sure am sir henry baskerville <laughs> you know like so, so but but it's so it's so it's like he like that for him is like it's like he has this fantasy of like what it means to be an aristocrat that like you know his cousin who like didn't have and you're right he is kind of a benevolent figure he he does seem like kind of very generous he's like the he's like the liberal candidate for parliament for the area and stuff like that um mm-hmm. but um yeah and right and, and so right and so like um you know and I think that again like you know would cut against like an aristocratic like logic of bloodline that it's not it, there's nothing like inherent in like their DNA that's causing it but it's like but the the fucking like fortune and the jealousy around it like that's the problem you know what i mean it's not it's not this like goofy like weird history of sir hugo it's like it, yeah it's basically like yeah well i mean this is this is kind of like what money and an estate does to people you know what i mean yeah it's it's a weird it's a weird one yeah i, I don't it's a weird one i don't know how to like the points that are being made about it seem to veer seem to veer back and forth because there's a point where where the nephew Henry is like um oh well I could I could split the money and the estate right or somebody suggests him to split the money and the estate and just like and just leave right and he's like no I would never split the money and the estate because the estate and the money are supposed to help the people like the the peasants who live around here essentially right who, like cooked up this legend of the scary dog but still i must be their benevolent provider right yeah which is this like kind of noblesse oblige sort of thing um yeah and then you know but i do know like uh that that uh that well, I and I again, I like you know make some claim that those kind of attitudes, like oh, they're they're all gone. I mean, obviously, they're still like I mean, you know, you find some fucking Tories, and you'll still hear like shit about noblesse oblige and that kind of thing. But it also is like I mean that like you know this is this is the fucking twentieth century. Like that does feel like a like that feels like some eighteenth century like squirearchy shit right there. You know, yeah, and, and and so I do like I wonder like. Are we supposed to take that and be like, oh, yes, yeah, so he's he's being an aristocrat the right way. Or are we supposed to take that and be like, that's a nice thought. But like, what fucking year are you living in? <laughs> like you, you, you sort of think that's the way the world works, you know? I think. Yeah. So I think the interesting thing is like the quote unquote good guy, like the the good aristocrat. Yeah. Um, the only thing you can do if you have a bad aristocrat is if you have a good aristocrat, <laughs> a good guy with an aristocrat. I don't know. <laughs> fucking hell. Um, but the good aristocrat is like half American and 
um, half and like three quarters Canadian and, and whatever. Um, and he he does something that's even funnier than just be like, yeehaw. <laughs> he like vacillates between on the train. He's like in Downton Abbey and he's looking out over the moor and he's like, I feel it in my bones. The more it, it, it's in my blood, it's inside of me. And then, and then he goes like, and then when he loses his shoe, he goes like, "What tarnation do you do with my shoe?" And he's like going like, "Yeah, yeah." Oh man, he's like sort of, and he's gonna like redo the whole place. So I think that I think that maybe the point is that like. If we're going to have an aristocracy, I don't know that he's trying to make a point about that even necessarily coherently, but it's like, if we're going to have an aristocracy, we need to like get a little weird up in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and, and I also, I think like that, that sort of, um, I think that might go to like some of the questions about narration that I, I know we had. Um, and, and, and I, I want to get like kind of rate, you know, as, as a way into that and then, and to think about like how Holmes stories are generally narrated and like kind of Watson's function. But I did want to raise again that, that, that thing, that sort of claim that I was working out earlier that like the, the proximity of the Gothic to this um and and so to to well detective fiction but specifically this not i mean this is like a very gothic novel in a lot of ways like, yeah it's got a fucking glowy hounds chasing people across the moor which like <laughs> i mean if you're gonna write a fucking gothic novel and you're not gonna set it in italy uh you need to have a more right but uh, yes and you need to have a glowing hound if you please yes um but no this is like perfect this is like a perfect gothic specimen yes it is and then and then but like it it, it resolves in like a completely different genre Right. Um, but uh, but OK, so I, I just wanted to read this little bit uh, where I think we we get that uh, like the Catholic, the the, the Gothic castle. This is from a chapter called uh, Baskerville Hall. I think it's chapter six and it's, it's toward the end. Um, so basically, Sir Henry and Watson have just arrived at Baskerville Hall and they're eating dinner. Um, and so we have this description, uh, the dining room, which opened out of the hall was a place of shadow and gloom. It was a long chamber with a step separating the days where the family sat from the lower portion reserved for, for their dependents. So like, you know, these ancient kind of class structures, like actually embedded in the physical building itself. Mm-hmm. Um, at one, at one end, a minstrel's gallery overlooked it black beam shot it across above our heads with a smoked darkened ceiling beyond them. With rows of flaring torches to light it up in the color and rude hilarity of an old-time banquet, it might have softened. But now, when two black-clothed gentlemen sat in the little circle of light thrown by a shaded lamp, one's voice became hushed and one's spirit subdued. A dim line of ancestors in every variety of dress, from the Elizabethan knight to the buck of the regency, stared down upon us and daunted us by their silent company. We talked little, and I for one was glad when the meal was over and we were able to retire into the modern billiard room and smoke a cigarette. My word, it isn't a very cheerful place, (laughs) said Sir Henry. I suppose one could tone it down to it, but I feel a bit out of the picture at present. I don't wonder my uncle got a little jumpy if he lived all alone in such a house as this. (laughs) However, if it suits you, we will retire early in the morning, and perhaps things may seem more cheerful in the morning. Sorry to Texas or wherever the fuck that accent was from. Um, Yeah! I I drew aside my curtains before I went to bed and looked out from my window. It opened upon the grassy space which lay in front of the hall door. 
Beyond, two uh, copses of trees moaned and swung in the rising wind. A half moon broke through the rifts of racing clouds. In its cold light, I saw beyond the trees a broken fringe of rocks and the long, low curve of the melancholy moor. I closed the curtain, feeling that my last impression was in keeping with the rest. And yet it was not quite the last. I found myself weary and yet wakeful, tossing restlessly from side to side, seeking for the sleep which would not come. Far away, a chiming clock struck out the quarters of the hours, but otherwise a deathly silence lay upon the old house. And then suddenly, in the very dead of night, there came the sound to my ears, clear, resonant, and unmistakable. It was the sob of a woman, the muffled, strangling gasp of one who is torn by an uncomfortable sorrow. I sat up in bed and listened intently. The noise could not have been far away and was certainly in the house. Uh, for half an hour, I waited with every nerve on the alert, but there came no other sound save the chiming clock and the rustle of the ivy on the wall. That's that's a fucking gothic novel, right? Like, I mean, yes, that's- no, totally, 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 totally gothic. It's gothic AF. Um, but then what are the facts that we learn about that? Well, it's not like some imprisoned princess, right? As it would be in a Gothic novel uh, or like, you know, a, a poor like Protestant, like noble woman who's been kidnapped by, you know, <laughs> by malicious papists, right? It's uh, no, no. It, it's 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 the it's the butler's wife. Um, and she's crying because her brother is the con, right? He's the convict who's escaped and he's out on the moor um, and she's worried about him. Um which is still kind of gothic, but it's like, all right, so we're already kind of cutting through like what, you know, it, and it's also the other thing. It's not a ghost either. Right. It's like a real, per, you know, um, no. So it's like, it's suggesting the gothic and it carries that suggestion through in a lot of ways, but then, yeah. Like what does it mean when we transition out of the gothic into detective fiction or just, or just, yeah. Like what, what is a home story doing with that kind of mode of narration that I just read? God, I mean, there's just so much here. Like, there's just everything is right here. Like, like, fuck, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because so so this thing is like this this manner and stuff is very self-consciously gothic to the point that when Henry Baskerville gets there, he's like he's like JFC. One of the first things I'm going to do is put a bunch of fucking light bulbs in here. So it looks like fucking Thomas Edison's dick in this <laughs> house <laughs> i don't know what i mean by that i have no idea what yeah. i'm saying yeah yeah yeah. no right he's got he's got to electrify he's gonna he's gonna shoot a thousand volts through that fucking house you know like, <laughs> yeah. yeah he's like i'm gonna nut all over this with electricity <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This- <laughs> modernity with my penis <laughs> <Modernity. down. laughs> uh. Uh, but the other thing is that like okay so all around us we have the more with these ancient uh you know fucking houses and also the land is constantly 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 moaning crying like getting getting wet like all kinds (laughs) of like there's an there's an erect moist sob from the from the bogs no right and all of all of the stone pillars everywhere right like there there's there's penises all over the moor like (laughs) <laughs> yeah no and there's major pussy power in one of the the bog that keeps eating the pony yeah 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 right. <laughs> oh man i am su- i am such a not good fucking like freudian reader that i i'm just now like hitting just onto like the sexualization of the landscape like but it's it's un- okay the po- it's like unmistakable though now that you now that you point that out and it's because like it's going in reverse. It's like the 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 life is going into the land, not coming from yeah, it. Blah blah blah. Right. But but the thing about the ponies, I just want to dwell on because 
does no one ever tries to save any of the ponies and the one and the butterfly catching freak Stapleton is like one pony. I watched it for three days <laughs> screaming and screaming as it drowned. And then Watson's like, I thought of the pony and shivered. <laughs> yeah, I know. And yeah, Stapleton's like, yeah, I bet you were watching the pony drown for three days. You fucking <laughs> creep, you know, like <laughs> twisted nut. <laughs> oh yeah but then like another pony falls like a ponies are always falling into the bog yeah yeah right well and, and like you know what this is that like so like one thing it like like the the gothic like uses like um the the kind of the horror of the 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 supernatural or the 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 like exotic setting as a way of like emphasizing like the fucked up in this or like the horror of the everyday um like and then like i conceit of detective fiction it's all about the horror of the everyday right it's like crime is everywhere you know and and uh but but like it does have a similar function like to you know we always we keep talking about ann radcliffe at some type uh, point we'll have to actually read one of her novels on the on the show but like you know we said that <laughs> good only one billion pages yeah, that, that we'll we'll have to yeah we'll 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 have to book on that with a lot of like <laughs> five page like <laughs> yeah um but uh but no like you know we've talked a bit about how like with in in like radcliffian gothic like the supernatural always has like a rational explanation in in the way it's like with holmes novels right it's like he he pulls all these facts together that at the end of it you're like what the fuck like that doesn't like like how how the hell would he do that but but that's the it's like you know, kind of taking the sort of like the, 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 like the, the out of the ordinary event and then through like science, like resolving it back into the, the ordinary or like the explain. Yes. Um, and so like, that's what, det- so I don't know. So like maybe like that, like that kind of Anne Radcliffe version of the Gothic and like the detective fiction genre, or at least as we see it in the home stories, they are like doing similar epistemological things. They're just, their settings are a little bit different or maybe they're kind of like political or thematic concerns are a little bit different. Well, Holmes also, one thing Holmes says explicitly is that, um, I only see what's available for everyone to see. Like I only see the ordinary things. I don't see anything special. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, yeah. like I just see what's available for everyone to see. They just, they just miss it. Yeah. It's like, Um, you weren't such a dumbass Watson, you would get it too. Right. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Like, yeah. So he's like, yeah, it's it's right there for everybody to see. Um, But, but the difference is that, so in the Gothic, we are embedded in like, in the heroines, usually perspective. Mm -hmm. Whereas here we're we're with Watson, right, right, yeah, and and we have the extraordinary we have the extraordinary person uh, accounting for the extraordinary event. Yes, right, yeah, yeah. So so what what is the Watson function generally? Um, and you know we can talk about like the the whole home genre, but uh, I think like you when we were talking before the show made a good case that like. Um, even like, like th- this novel itself is narrated weird. Cause it, it's, well, it's all Watson's voice, but like we have Watson's journal and then Watson's letters back to Holmes, And then, but it's still all like Watson as mediator is such sort of an important, like narrative feature of these stories. Yeah. Because it allows, I think so. So we have, um, we have at, 
at first we just have the story from Watson, and then we have his letters to Holmes that he writes when he thinks he's filling him in on all the facts. He re- but later turns out he's being tricked. Mm-hmm. And then we have his diary, and then he says that the last these last events made such an impression on me that I could tell them backwards and forwards, um, and it wouldn't matter. Right. Like I I know these in my heart, right? You know, like emotionally, <laughs> like me as as your as a vessel of this knowledge, it made an impact on me. So like that's why I have authority to to know it. Mm. Um, but it so so it serves like so it serves a function in giving us someone to relate to and like, and also letting Holmes be like super, super extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause he would be, he'd be no fun. He'd be no fun to be in the head of like, we need somebody who obscures a little. Right. Right. Like, yeah. <sighs> when like, yeah, I mean like there's a way in which like Holmes is I, he's always not like a character in a full set because he's just like brain, you know, like he's, just, he's yeah. just brain. Like, um, and, and it was just like hyper rationality. Like, I mean, we did, you know, we get some, okay. He likes to smoke a, smoke a pipe. Uh, he likes to occasionally do drugs. <laughs> he likes to, uh, he likes to, uh, uh, he likes to play the violin. Um, but like, other than that, yeah, he's just like, he's like rational. He's well, and he's an asshole because like, he uh i mean to take you back to like the star trek canon he's like a fucking vulcan right he's just like emotions are dumb i don't do that uh you know and like so so you're right like we need watson as a way of like it's like they function in tandem and like watson is like the sort of like sympathetic kind of uh uh figure or location um and then like we have him so then we can like more deal with Holmes is like very kind of like not fully or not like recognizably all that human kind of approach to the world you know well we also have like so Holmes says this thing he he he's like i i close my eyes and like i look at a map and it's like i'm there you know i i sit here in my armchair and i travel in a in a in my hot air balloon of the mind mm-hmm. and watson is like Holmes says this and it's unclear whether he's whether this is like a sick burn or whether he like means it or not, but he's like, the good thing about you Watson is that you're a man of action. Yeah. Like (laughs) you're a man of action, you know, like leave the thinking to me, sweetie. You're, you're an action guy. Yeah. Well, right, and there's that moment early on which you, which you kind of referenced in your uh, uh, in, in your uh, synopsis when when uh, Mortimer is a dumbass and has left his cane at the place, and, and Watson and Holmes is like, "All right, do deduction on this Watson." And he's like, "Oh yes," and he comes up with some ideas, and he's like, "Did I do a good job, Holmes?" And he's like, "I'm afraid, my dear Watson, that most of your conclusions were erroneous. When I said that you stimulated me, I meant to be frank that in, in noting your fallacies, I was occasionally guided towards the truth." <laughs> not that you were entirely wrong in this instance uh the man is certainly a, a country okay but but then then later in the uh uh so right so when when watson finds holmes uh has finds that holmes has been living on the moor i didn't tell watson about that he's like he's like hurt he's like oh you didn't let me in on this but then like holmes is just like oh but you figured out some stuff good boy and watson's like and, and that basically like he he praised me so everything was good <laughs> like and no, but he also says this other thing too, if you remember. Yeah. Holmes says this thing, which is like, 
he doesn't say it directly, but he says, you would have had some womanish impulse to bring me a, yeah. a treat of some kind. Yeah, and yeah, you would yeah. have blown my cover. Yeah, no, totally. And, and right. And I mean, so like, <laughs> they definitely function enough as like a romantic couple that I think, I, like, I think that's a totally fair reading. I, but I just, uh, like, I, I just don't... Uh, uh, well, and the, and, and the hope stories always suggest that, but like, I don't, you know, I mean, like that the implication is that they're, they're baggy. I don't like, I mean, which I think that's a fine implication to draw, but it's like, I think the claim is more something like we have these two personality types or these two like different ways of experiencing the world. And like, what happens if we, like, we, we don't want to think of either of them in isolation. Like what happens if they like live in this tidy apartment together and solve crimes, you know, like, <laughs> Like, yeah 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 i don't know man it, it's a fucked up the, their dynamic is interesting but but rela- but relation like thinking about them as a as in real in, in in a relationship in any way in any kind of human relationship i know they're literary characters but it's so it's so bad yeah oh no i didn't well be, i mean because like like Holmes, like as a person sucks you know like i mean mm-hmm. you'd be absolutely insufferable and watson i mean there are definitely you know there have been like film and television versions that have played watson as like more capable uh i think you know the nigel bruce was famously uh you know the, just kept, like almost like stooges right but like um that yeah it's like i i don't know it's like they're all they always function as a unit like holmes is like holmes is like the intellect and watson is like either the 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 sympathy or like occasionally the comic relief but it would just be it's so weird to think of any of these stories with just one like if it was just holmes you know it would kind of be boring and if it was just watch then you'd never figure anything out because he's an idiot right like no it's it's like fucking (laughs) peanut butter and jelly so anyway um okay cool yeah um no but it, i i had a lot of fun reading this i haven't read a sherlock holmes story in in quite a while um and it's it's fun it's a, it's a fun genre and and holmes is you know i mean he has this huge fandom culture around him and yeah like i and i don't know i mean detective fiction isn't really my thing but i also get it you know um i i totally get why people are into this I, 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 we, we can't get through this episode without at least one time saying it. Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel bad. I have not actually seen, uh, seen his, uh, his homes, but, um. Oh, I have seen it. I've seen it many times and I've seen, I've seen the, 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 the Hobbit <laughs> <laughs> alongside him. What, what, is he in the Hobbit? Is that what it is? Yeah. Martin. Say- I, what? Let's say yes. Martin. I want to say Martin Sheen, but I know Martin that's not Sheen. it. <laughs> Martin, Martin what? Martin Sheen is Frodo Baggins. Bilbo Baggins. It's <laughs> Reprising as a queen and character for The Departed, right? <laughs> 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 all right um okay well this was this, this was fun um and uh do you do you have uh do you have some detective games for us i do tristan i have some detective games for you and i have to say this i looked for these detective games and i nearly lost my mind <laughs> um i i don't know where where these games end and i begin i i've fused with them and uh they with me um <laughs> yeah okay so 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 here's so here's what i gotta say there are these so just to lead into it i got into these from these teaching blogs 
And they have these fake dialogues on them that are like, one is truly between Ms. Sneed and her <laughs> colleagues, <laughs> who okay. wants to teach children to be more observant Okay, by doing the following. Moving five objects in the classroom each day. How mm. many can each child notice? Go to a place in the classroom and ask the kids shit about you. Uh-huh. For some online fun, visit CIA Kids Zone. <laughs> oh, God. Take the photo analysis challenge and play concentration. The CIA Kids Zone. Yeah, Ms. Sneed directs us to the CIA Kids Zone. So, of course, I went straight over there. Yeah. Didn't, didn't, didn't uh, delay one moment. Uh, I was introduced to... to to CIA agent shoe phone, shoe okay. phone. R- ripping off gets smart. Yeah, ripping off, Not- r- ripping off gets smart. Right? It's like yes. goddamn, goddamn it, CIA. That that's controls thing. That's not your your thing. <laughs> no, but in fact, in fact, the shoe phone uh, sends us on a whole all manner of journeys. So I then I then my brain then my brain rotted, and I thought. Fuck mysteries, I'm done with them. Uh, fuck the CIA. Um, You're here for that. CIA Kid Zone is one of the darkest things I've ever fucking heard in my life. <laughs> like, CIA Kid Zone, I almost lost it. Oh I really God. did. CIA yeah. Kid Zone. Okay, yeah, I'm teaching, teaching your kids to be cold-blooded psychopaths of the empire. <laughs> yep, go to the fucking CIA Kid Zone. Yeah. Fucking Christ. Yeah. Um, but then I just thought, you know what? My interest in this topic was 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 just just mysteries, you know, just mysteries like like you know those mysteries like there's a man and uh, he's dead in a room and he's he's hanging and there's a puddle underneath him and and but and how did he get there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know okay. the answer. There's a man in a room hanging. There's a puddle underneath him and how did he get there? Yeah, do do you know how he got there? N- he. <laughs> like have a, you heard this one this is a this is one of the riddles no i'm just thinking is this the south park episode where people die and their pants fly off and they piss themselves <laughs> <laughs> like <is> that- <laughs> no oh my goodness okay i thought this was like a child thing that maybe this is not a thing maybe i was a little freak reading mystery books all the time yeah um but what happened was, um, he stood on a block of ice. <laughs> but it's, this is awful. He stood on a block of ice and put his head through the noose when the ice is melting. That, he was. Uh, that's the answer to the riddle. That, okay, that's a fucked up riddle. Jesus Christ! I, I know, and and this thing, it's a thing people tell, uh, tell kids like every. I don't know. I knew this. I some of my friends knew it. I didn't have a lot of friends. Okay. Okay. Fine. Well, I admit right. it. Yeah, no, good. Um, to, I mean, yeah, good to know. My my son's about to start having. Uh, I mean, he's he's three, so he's not that far away from fucked up stories other kids tell each other, you know. <laughs> but but I found some mysteries online, and I was wondering if you could solve them. Okay, detective. Yes. Okay, and so that there's one that I found. This is this is a real mystery that I found on the www.internet.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you can, you can get five hints, so you can ask me for them whenever you want, but see if okay. you solve the mystery, okay? Okay, yep. Okay. A man is walking through the desert. 
he sees an enormously large cliff Mm -hmm. and a dead man at the bottom. Mm -hmm. The dead man is in his underwear and -hmm. is holding a straw. How did the man die and how did he get there? He's at the bottom of the cliff. He's holding a straw. Uh, Is this like a mirage thing? He went to drink. He thought that the edge of the cliff was a lake and he just ran off it. I'm sorry. That is not correct. In exchange for that incorrect answer, I will give you one of the hints. Okay, let's do that. The straw in the man's hand is not a drinking straw. It is a straw of hay. Okay. And he's at the bottom of a cliff in the desert. Mm-hmm. Okay, hint. <laughs> okay, the man died from falling a great height. Well, all right, yeah, that like okay, that like that one's pretty. That one's pretty <laughs> solid. Right, no, I'll give you the. I'm gonna give you all the hints. Okay. Okay. They okay. Suck ass. All right. Yeah. The man. The man walking up to the dead man has nothing to do with the dead man. Well, uh, yeah, all right. I mean, it's like okay, ooh, like the, the it's the it's the murderer who's found this guy. I, okay, all right, yeah. If the dead man had not died, three men would be dead. If the dead man had not died, three men would be dead. He's got a straw. He's at the bottom of a cliff. The man was in some sort of vehicle before he died. Is the last hint okay? Uh, he tried. All right, it's the desert. And they're driving through with a truck full of of straw, right? And there's a fight <laughs> that breaks out on it. He's going to kill the other two, but they are three. Uh, but they throw him off the cliff. And that's why he's there. Okay, you you get close to the sickness of this answer. Okay, okay, okay. okay. I couldn't believe this. Yeah, I I am not Sherlock Holmes, and so I should have bricked when I read the answer. Okay, the dead man and his two friends, three people. We're flying in a hot air balloon. They were headed down and toward the cliff. They threw everything out of the hot air balloon, stripped to their underwear, but it wasn't enough. They decided to draw straws to see who would have to jump out. That poor man lost and had to jump out. His friends floated away to safety. (laughs) (laughs) Elementary, my dear Watson. But they were in a fucking place. What the hell does the the cliff is just misdirection, right? Because the cliff doesn't have anything to do with it, right? Like, well, they were floating in their hot air balloon down toward the cliff. They were, they were okay, and they were gonna. All right, okay, I see. All right, okay, okay, I see, I see. So the hot air they needed to rise, um, and it couldn't have just been the ground, like hitting the ground that would have killed them. I, you know what, I'm gonna take from this uh, that I'm not a cop, uh, so that's cool. Right. <laughs> so, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. That's uh. The they're uh, like yeah. <laughs> Do you know? Let's <laughs> take it back to my my weird uh, unironic love of Christmas. You know those like Christmas cracker things that the English people do. Like you, they, they, you pull them and they pop. And there's oh, like yeah, uh-huh. okay, yeah. Like so, I'm super into that shit. Um, like one of my favorite things of it is they always have like like fucking riddles, but you re- they're like anti jokes. It, it's it's <laughs> like it's like that you know like because seven eight nine that kind of thing only like, popsicle stick jokes like popsicle stick jokes exactly yeah. it's like this is sort of like what that is only dark and you would need like 50 popsicles to like get through all the complexity of it. <laughs> they're all sick as fuck these riddles for kids yeah yeah i bet they are i bet they are elementary 
So did you, did you, did, did you uh, figure this out before you got to the, 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 the clues or the, 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 the giveaway? I missed, I'm, I'm, I regret to inform you. I did not know that it was a hot air balloon. Okay. <laughs> hot air. <laughs> I failed to, I failed to see the hot air balloon. Hot air balloon headed for the cliff. Yep. Uh, hot air balloon. I, I failed to predict what people panicking in a hot air balloon headed for destruction might do. Uh, okay. Uh, well, so neither of us are cops. That's cool. Uh, other, you know, yeah, we, that's, we don't have to give dope. up our leftist cred. Um, well, that, that, that was fun as always. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't, I, I don't know how fun that is, but I have a lot of other riddles. Sometimes, if anyone wants to be be friends, we can do do riddles. Okay. Um, all right. Well, so thank thank you, Katie. Um, this is this has been better read than dad. Um, you can you can find Megan on Twitter at Tussler Saras. <laughs> you can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Better Red Pod, spelled R E A D, and email us at Better Red Podcast uh, at gmail.com. But only if it is because you have a better read all of that to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to, to test uh, whether we're cops or not with. Um, I'll but- start you off. Mr. and Mrs. Clyde went on a trip to the mountains, but two days later, Mr. Clyde returned home alone. He went to the police and said that Mrs. Clyde had fallen to her death. Uh, they went to the travel agent. What did the travel agent say to the detective? <laughs> he only bought one return ticket boom top that email it <laughs> all right there there you go if, if you can if you can best that uh, <laughs> all right. uh so our, our intro music is Lev bronstein by the redskins and used with their permission our logo was created by jane bonsack of jb design and content Please rate, review us, and subscribe. Um, we still have stickers and buttons for reviewers. Um, next week, uh, we're going to be reading something a little weird. Uh, it's Eliza Haywood's short amatory, uh, which means all kinds of haunt uh, <laughs> fiction, Fantomita. <laughs> uh, fa- um, and uh, tr- trust me, uh, as, as Better Read the Dead's uh, 18th centuryist, it's weird and good. And if you've never read it, um, you can get it online and read it in like an hour. Um, so you, you should. Um, okay, thanks, comrades. Thank you.